Hey guys, it's Jackie, founder of All Mama Care and Mama to a Super Kid. When my son was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at 21 months old, not only did I feel my world was ending, but I was alone and scared. I made it my job to get my hands on every resource possible to become educated about his diagnosis. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was determined to become empowered and do everything possible to help my baby and my family thrive. Along the way, I've had the pleasure of connecting with some wonderful organizations and meeting some of the most caring and authentic people. This podcast is dedicated to supporting parents and families while their child is going through cancer treatment and beyond. I share with you all the resources that have played a major factor during this time in my family's life, and I'm so glad you're here with me. And now, let's get this episode started. When I found out a couple of years ago that, you know, I read the statistic treatments haven't changed in 40 years, and I had kind of a moment where I said, okay, well, I'm 40. I was sick when I was, so that means kids are legitimately having the same treatment protocols now that I had when I was five. That's unacceptable. And that was one of the things that really pushed me to get more involved with the society. I am so honored and excited to have Lauren Silver join me on the podcast. She is truly a superwoman and her spirit and enthusiasm for helping others, all things running, all the while fundraising for Leukemia Lymphoma Society is truly an inspiration. Join Lauren and I as we dive into all the things. She shares with us her survivor journey with AML, acute myeloid leukemia, when she was young. She also shares with us how she's raised thousands of dollars for LLS while taking part in running many marathons and half marathons with team and training over the past decade. She's down to her final week of fundraising for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society Man and Woman of the Year. Her team, called Breaking Barriers, is striving to bring her to the finish line on June 10th with the title of Woman of the Year. She's striving to earn that Woman of the Year title by collecting the most funds for LLS research and family support. So let's get cozy and listen to her story. Tonight is really special. This guest I'm going to bring on next is a five-time marathon runner. She's also run countless half marathons and in the process, raised over $75,000 for cancer research through the Leukemia Lymphoma Society team and training. She's also a blood cancer survivor. This is a woman that is on fire. I'm so happy to have Lauren Silver on the podcast tonight. And we're going to talk all about everything that she's doing to fundraise for cancer research. We're gonna talk about her involvement in one of the biggest fundraising events that the Leukemia Lymphoma Society puts on annually called Man and Woman of the Year. And she's gonna share with us her own journey through childhood cancer and how that's driven her to reach for success. So Lauren, welcome to the show. Jackie, thanks for having me tonight. I love telling my story, especially given you know how many other people like me I've found through this network of the LLS community. I am uh, 41 years old right now, but when I was five years old, I was, I always joke that my alter ego, even now is Tinkerbell. I was a cute little pixie of a blonde kid. I was a terror. I would run into walls. I would talk to everyone. (laughs) I got myself in tons of trouble, but I woke up from school one day and um, complained to my mom that I really wasn't feeling well. My legs were sore. I think I had been bruising a little bit, I mean, over the previous weeks, but I, um, like I said, I was all over the place and that wasn't a terrible concern of my parents, but I also wasn't really a kid that complained about much. So my parents were a little worried about that. And we went to my pediatrician who then sent us to the local hospital. I lived in Connecticut at the time. And um, while there, after a number of different blood tests and and a few hours there, we received the news that I had um, acute myelogenous leukemia, which A, you know, at this time in the, you know, the 
beginning of the 80s, like 85, um, pediatric cancer wasn't really a widespread thing. AML also is predominantly an adult leukemia. Um, so it was a little, well, it was a lot concerning <laughs> for all, us, all of us involved and we were sent immediately uh, to Yale New Haven Hospital, which I didn't realize was a huge thing. You know, I was five. I kind of thought, yeah, I'm not feeling well. They, they're sending me to a few doctors. But um, the next thing I knew, we were basically moving into the hospital and I wasn't going to school anymore. Um, I kind of just was admitted right away and, you know, had tubes everywhere and and I wasn't a normal kid anymore is kind of all I knew there was something really different about what was going on yeah that's a lot to take in and I can imagine at the age of five like did you start kindergarten so had you already been going to school yeah Yeah, so I had started kindergarten um, and then I I obviously didn't get too far into it um, but um, I knew enough that you know when other kids were going to school I was now kind of living at the hospital for all intents and purposes and so you must have been really aware of what was going on yeah um I, I was, I, I don't think I knew the, ex- quite the extent of what was going on. Yeah. Um, I think there's only so much, you know, when you're that age that you take in, because I think the hospital also did a really good job of, of catering to the other kids that were there in the, the segment of the hospital that I was in, you know, they would come in and play games with us every day and make us kind of feel like there was other stuff going on. But on the flip side of that, I would go to sleep at night and I would wake up from somebody trying to drop blood out of, you know, waking me up out of my sleep. And so I think to that extent of it, I I knew there was, there was something major going on, but I also wasn't aware that that wasn't a normal part of what other kids kind of went through. Sure. And I probably didn't realize that until I was, you know, um, out of the hospital from the, longer stay perspective and just getting regular treatments at the local hospital where my oncologist was, was on call. You know, that's when, when I started socializing with other kids again, that's when I started to really realize how different, you know, my sure. Because it was to you, it was what was happening. It was, you know, you were already in it. So it wasn't like you could yeah. c- kind of compare it to what other kids were going through. Can you kind of backtrack? Can you give um, our listeners and me just a little bit of knowledge around what AML is? So acute myelogenous leukemia is, um, it's like I said, it's prominently an adult leukemia. It's a very aggressive um, form of of leukemia. Um, It has, it's very complex. It's one of the more complex um, leukemias like ALL is um, in that it has a lot of different mutations. It's very hard for doctors to pinpoint what a a successful round of, of treatment will look like because it's different for everybody. Everybody reacts, you know, differently to the cancer, and and there are so many different strains and variations that there's no one size fits all treatment. It's kind of and at that time, like I said, in the mid '80s, there there really wasn't any solid treatment plan for pediatric cancer. Um, you know, or many other cancers anyway. Um, you know, my even I was talking about this with my mom the other day. Um, you know, the our pediatric oncologist kind of said to my parents, okay, we have two options. We can either do a really, really aggressive treatment or we can kind of hang back a little bit and, and kind of see what happens. I mean, that's not not really a choice. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, my parents decided, yeah, let's, let's go the aggressive approach and see what happens. And luckily for me, it, it worked out, but it, it doesn't for everybody, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, And and for me, you know, like I said, everybody's treatment story is different. A lot, a number of people that I know that have been sick, 
um, or that no people that have been sick have said, oh, well, you must have had a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant. I actually was lucky in that I didn't have either of those things. I had radiation and I had chemotherapy. Um, I had a port in my chest, but um, we chose, you know, we didn't do a, a bone marrow transplant. I'm not sure if that was on the table at some point or not, but, mm -hmm. um, but I, I didn't need one apparently. Wow. Wow. You are truly a miracle. And th thank you so much for sharing all of that because it definitely gives me, you know, some insight because all I know is ALL. I, I have, you know, I haven't really explored the other types of leukemia. Um, so thank you for sharing that knowledge. I really appreciate that. And just to think too, I mean, like that must've been so hard just going through a, you know, what you went through when you were five years old and then not really having a protocol or not really, you know, having all of these advancements that we have now, um, that must have been really hard. You know, um, I, I think it was, but I, I almost feel luckier that I had been sick as a kid because I, I remember pieces of what happened, but I, I don't really, by and large, remember a broad spectrum of it. And I feel kind of almost lucky. I don't know if lucky is the right word to use, but um, I feel like if I had gotten sick when I was older, well, I, I'll go into that in a minute, <laughs> but yeah. I, um, I things would have been a lot different for me. And I think children are so resilient um and and really do kind of bounce back from from everything that um you know i think it was almost better that i had that experience as a kid because it made me so much stronger coming into adulthood um and as far as the treatment is concerned i mean it it's interesting because I didn't start to learn this until I got into my work with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, where I started to talk to other people that ha are sick and have been sick and know people that are sick and, and researchers and whatnot. But um, a lot of the treatments have changed. By and large, the, the treatments for acute leukemias have not really changed at all since I was sick when I was younger. They're starting to. Um, because of the work that the LLS is doing and the Children's Initiative, especially on the pediatric front. But um, I, when I found out a couple of years ago that, you know, I read the statistic treatments haven't changed in 40 years, and I had kind of a moment where I said, okay, well, I'm 40. I was sick when I was, so that means kids are legitimately having the same treatment protocols now that I had when I was five. That's... Yeah unacceptable. And that was one of the things that really pushed me to get more involved with the society. Yeah. And we're going to talk, um, let's dive into LLS. What is LLS? So the Leukemia Lymphoma Society is um, the, the, the only nonprofit that focuses 100% um, on blood cancer and finding research treatment options for folks. And they're, they're, support systems that, that are suffering from leukemia. Yeah, so the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is um, probably the largest nonprofit organization that is, is focused largely on, um, on funding treatments and cures for leukemia and lymphomas and, and basically creating support systems and services for, for patients and their families. LLS is absolutely amazing. Like, hands down, they are one of the most amazing organizations I have, ha I had Courtney Rinaldi on the podcast. Um, let's say, was it like maybe six months ago? I don't even know. I don't even know what month it is sometimes, but um, I had her on the podcast and we talked all about the children's initiative and we talked about all of the um, outreach and the family support that's that LLS offers. And right now with the man and woman of the year campaign, you're running for woman of the year and we're going to talk all about that. And I am just truly blown away um, with Ollie being chosen as boy of the year. I have never felt so much love from an organization. I feel like 
every week I was getting either an email or a text message, or I got a couple of letters in the mail. We got cards in the mail, like so much outpouring of love from the whole LLS community and like being a part of the, the fundraising calls and the kickoff calls and the mid campaign calls. And I'm excited for the grand finale. Like there is just so much that LLS does. And once we can kind of get through once I can kind of wrap my head around everything that just happened, I'm excited too to get to dive back in and get involved more with LLS with fundraising and team and training. Um, because that's something that Lauren and I have in common. We both love to run. I have not really run that that, that often, um, you know, since having Leo and everything. I did run a couple weeks ago, and boy, that was a gravity shift. I was like, oh my god! But I do enjoy running. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. But but yeah, I just I cannot say enough about the LLS team and listening to everybody's stories and their motivation for fundraising. So. So Lauren, can you kind of share with us about how you got involved with team and training and how you got involved with some of their campaigns? Because I know that they have a lot of campaigns kind of going either simultaneously or, you know, throughout the year. How do you choose what campaigns you want to do? So that's kind of like a two-part question. Number one, how'd you get involved in team and training? And number two, how do you choose the campaigns that you want to do? So my team and training story is actually kind of funny and I tell this to people and they're kind of like, that's not really what happened. But um, <laughs> I, so I started off with kind of the beginning of my story. I was sick um, between the ages of roughly five and eight. And then my last round was, was when I was about eight. Um, but then I, I seemed to be okay. Um, you know, we, we, stopped doing the regular chemo and radiation treatments. I had my port taken out. I, um, we moved around a little bit when I was a kid, even though we kept having regular appointments and blood work and whatnot. And then I was fine for all intents and purposes, or at least from what I knew until I, years later, I, you know, I went to college. I was fine. I, a few years out of college, I ended up getting really, really sick. I, I actually went to work that day and had, they had to call an ambulance because I ended up having major stomach issues and esophageal varices. Come to find out my spleen, which is supposed to be roughly the size of your pinky finger, mine was five pounds and the size of a football and had to be removed. Oh um, my gosh. I found out after the fact that this is actually a pretty common long-term side effect from Vincristin, which was one of the drugs that I was on when I was younger. Yeah, that's but, I've always uh, had that as well. And <laughs> apparently when I was much younger, our oncologist gave my parents the option of, of having my spleen out as a potential treatment option. And my parents at the time were kind of like, well, she's five or six or however old I was. And it wasn't, you know, the only option. So they decided to go in a different direction. But um, apparently (laughs) my spleen wanted to be taken out. And the function um, of the spleen, I know it has to do with digestion, but. It's basically basically your body's customs agent. Um, So um, now that I, I, and a lot of other people, you know, another, another common reason people have their spleens out is if they're in a car accident or something like that, and it gets um, torn or, or damaged at all, has the potential to rupture. Like a does, lot of does it sit on top of the liver? Yes. Okay. So basically what I have now found out or what I found out when I was 23 at the time that this all happened is that one of the major known side effects from Vincristin is um, liver damage in the form of what they call portal hypertension. So it causes all sorts of a pressurized system in the the vein system around your liver. So mine had the pressure had built up so much that it pushed up and up and up and up. Mm-hmm. And I got really sick and ended up 
you know, having to have, have surgery. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because that is one of the known side effects, but there are also many other long-term side effects that are unknown is the right term. I mean, my generation of, of, um, of my generation is really the first surviving generation of childhood leukemia. So whenever I go to the doctor to have something looked at now, they're kind of like, Oh, well, this is interesting. We've never seen this before. Um, that I was actually, that case was written up in a medical journal. I think the, the wow. but it's, um, it's, but I also, again, didn't really know that until I started digging in and talking to people at the society that that was, you know, that that wasn't just me getting sick. There was a reason why that all happened. Mm. And I went through a period of a few years after my surgery where I was really depressed because I kind of thought to myself, okay, you know, I thought I was done with being sick. Um, now you're telling me now that now that I'm 23, yeah. you know, out of college, this is supposed to be like my prime right. time. Now I'm going to have even more issues because of all of the side effects from all of the the treatments. So um, I went through a kind of a rough time. I gained a lot of weight because I was on all sorts of new medications that they had put me on now. And your life just got derailed again. And yeah, you think you're going one way and all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was about 29, we were out grocery shopping one day and uh, there was a woman outside the Shaw's that we went to that uh, had set up a table. She was doing her own fundraising for team and training. And I saw the logo for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and thought, huh, I wonder what that is. So I, I walked up and started talking to her and come to find out she was a survivor herself. She started telling me her story that she um, had, I think, CLL and she was running the Disney Marathon uh, with team and training. And she was collecting change as people were walking back and forth from their cars. So um, I threw in, you know, a $10 bill and I took one of the flyers that she was handing out. And I thought to myself, huh, all right. I mean, I, I was turning 30 that year. I wanted to lose a little bit of weight. I was like, maybe I'll sign up and do one of these races. I, I mean, I will tell you, I had not done anything even remotely athletic ever before. I mean, I wasn't allowed to participate in sports as a kid because I, A, had the catheter in my chest and B, bruised if you went like this. So um, I was probably the least athletic person on the planet. And as soon as I got home and said to everyone, I knew I'm going to be, I think I'm going to do a half marathon. They all laughed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, complain when we park the car too far away from the restaurant. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but I did it. I signed up and wow. I started training. And this was in 2010. I walked the entire 13.1 miles. Wow. Thought to myself, All right, I yeah, I liked that. I could I could do another one of those. And and interestingly enough, at the time, our coach um, was also really sick. He actually passed away from CLL during our training and couldn't even. He was sick enough that he couldn't make it to the race and passed shortly thereafter. Um, my mentor at the time convinced me, not even six months later, to turn around and sign up for another race. And it's. 11 years later, and I'm still doing (laughs) races. Lauren, oh my gosh, that's insane. Wow. So that's crazy. So every year you've been, every year you've been involved with LLS. Yeah. That's incredible. That's a lot of dedication, a lot of your time. And that's absolutely incredible to say the past 10 years you've been fundraising. Wow. Wow. What an incredible story. So now what does your family think? Hey guys, look at me now. <laughs> now my family thinks I'm crazy because I've run five marathons, but. <laughs> and they're not joining you? 
I'm sure they're cheering it's, you on. Well, it's funny, my dad, so I, my dad does run, you know, he'll be the first one to tell you that he gets up at, you know, however early he gets up yeah. and runs eight miles, but they live in Florida, so you have to get up super early yeah. and run, but he, um, you know, even he, I think, thinks I'm crazy sometimes for the long distances. I think he yeah. would be okay if, if it was a 10, 10K or a 5K or something like that, or even a, maybe a half. Um, I've tried to get him to do the Disney races with me because they can drive there but um, maybe someday we'll see (laughs) yeah well I'm sure they're cheering you on and um and of course we're you know Ollie and I and Ryan and Leah were cheering you on all the way and yeah I want to talk about running I get so fired up whenever I watch like the Boston Marathon and I don't know what it is and I don't want to brag but like once you've run a half marathon or like a full marathon you just I just get so jazzed about watching running and my husband's like, what? Like you're going to sit and watch the marathon. I'm like, yeah, like I get so excited about it (laughs) and he just doesn't get it. So I want to talk all about like your races. What was, what are some of the races that you've run and like, what's your most memorable race and why? So I think I have two most memorable and I've run, well I've run a lot of Disney races um and the Disney races are special because I mean if if you're a Disney fan if you love Disney the Disney races are great because there's really no pressure I mean you can run you can walk you can skip people dress up in all sorts of crazy costumes um and you get to go to the parks afterwards and it's amazing but um if you love Disney the Disney races are amazing and I've done a lot of them um but I will say there's something really special about doing some of the really quote-unquote serious races and and completing them and feeling really good about completing them um I when I I ran the New York City Marathon in 2016 and it was the first race that I really I trained for by myself I I don't know how because I right now I probably couldn't hold myself accountable to train for a marathon by myself. Um, but I trained the, for the whole thing by myself. I ran by myself most of my training runs, and I got there, and it was my first non-Disney race in a really long time. And I got there, and I kind of said to myself, "Okay, these are, this is like these are the big leagues," <laughs> um, but it was amazing. And I would do New York city again in a heartbeat because, um, I hadn't done Boston yet, but I, I just, it's a block party for 26 miles and it's amazing. And the city just completely lights up like Boston does for the Boston marathon. Um, Boston, I think is, is probably my most favorite experience. Um, of the marathons my disney was my first marathon in 2016 or yeah 2016 and that was special just because it was my first marathon and it was something that all along i had said i'm not going to ever run a marathon i I can't do like i'm not going to be able to do it and i did it and i was really proud of myself it was during a rough period newport Newport, rhode island was my first my first full marathon and so far my only full marathon because it is so demanding. It's so demanding. Newport's tough because if they, unless they've changed the course, because I've done the, the Newport, I did the Newport half as a training run the year that I ran New York city. The Newport marathon is tough because it's the same, the half finishes and then the marathon keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> so if I was running the marathon, I'd be like, well, can I, yeah, just move over there. The yep. year that I ran the Newport half, it was. I mean, it's, I, if I could show you some of my race pictures, I it was so torrentially downpouring the entire. I mean, the, the entire weekend. The worst. Um, and the whole the finish line is straight downhill. Yeah. So people legitimately were just sliding. I mean, sliding. <laughs> Yeah, it was nuts. I remember I got to mile, I think I got to mile 17. And of course, by this point, I was walking because I was just like, you know, what? I'm just going to enjoy the view. It's and I was, hilly. it was, it was beautiful. It is kind of hilly. And I got to a point and like, 
there were these two women that were at the end of their driveway cheering on everybody, but drinking champagne at the same time. And I was like, oh, like, that is the worst. So then I was like, okay. And then I just started like trotting uphill. But but um, the whole marathon really takes full dedication. And to think that you've done five of them, I mean, time, dedication, scheduling, it's like you're, you just breathe training because for like however many months, everything revolves around your training. And if we can just talk a little bit about if anybody that's listening and they want to get involved or they just want to learn more about team and training, how does it work? How do you get involved with team and training? How do the events and the campaigns kind of intertwine? Sure. So um, I, I will say, you know, it is, marathoning is is its own animal and it's something you really have to be dedicated to I honestly wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for teams so I strongly encourage anybody that is out there that you know thinks that they might be interested in running any sort of race or, or not even just running but doing cyc- you know there are cycling events there are hiking tours um there's there are triathlons um this is all assuming things kind of open up (laughs) um again in this crazy environment we're in right now but there's a huge support system for whatever challenge that's out there that that you think you can or you can't do because there's a whole group of people that are going to sit there with you and tell you we're going to get you across that finish line and it's going to be amazing and we're all going to do it together um I um, I think probably the easiest thing to do to get more involved or to get more information is just to visit the website. It's uh, teamandtraining.org, and that will kind of ex- outline all of the different uh, seasonal options that are available because the schedule changes depending on what events are going on. Um, Right now, um, just because of of all of the uncertainty and and kind of things starting to open back up again, there are a lot of virtual options. Um, Human Training and and the Leukemia Lymphoma Society did a really, really good, fast job of um, kind of immediately pivoting and being able to offer this great community that we have for um, endurance events and, and sports type challenges and, and fundraising to um, to a virtual audience. And there right now is what's called the Resilience Challenge, which is great, especially for people that are kind of just starting out or maybe just getting back into running or to whatever other sport they might have been involved in in the past. Um, it's great for kind of a few reasons. One is that they're really isn't any um, barrier to entry. You know, you can kind of pick the distance that you want to do. You can pick the mode that you want to do the distance, whether it's running, cycling. Um, I, you know, I did half a challenge on my Peloton bike, (laughs) the last challenge that I participated in. Um, And there is the option to fundraise, but there's also the option just to take the physical part of the challenge and and use that as your main motivation. Oh, that's wonderful because then you don't have the pressure where you're like just diving into, you know, getting in your groove and then fundraising. You can kind of ease into it, gain your composure, gain your confidence. And then, you know, if you so choose, start to get involved in fundraising and you can even make your own, here I am like thinking of all these things. You can even make your own triathlon with the Peloton and go swimming. And wow, that's awesome to have all that flexibility. Before we hopped on the call, I was actually exploring the website. um, And when you said that LLS, you know, took a quick turn, I believe it was like the big climb that they do, the campaign, the big climb. um, That was like right away uh, after the pandemic hit, they pivoted and had that as a virtual climb. Um, and like Lauren said, if you hop on the, uh, chain and training website, LLS has mapped out so many different campaigns. They have, um, the virtual climb. I saw, well, obviously with marathons, um, they have, I think the Chicago marathon, uh, I think the New York marathon. Um, and so there's two things like one, you can sign up for these events and be with other people a part of the team in training or like Lauren was saying you can just create your own event and be a part of team and training like kind of 
by yourself or with a partner, right? So mm-hmm. like, there's a couple different options for flexibility. Also, there is, oh, I saw there's a Machu Picchu yeah. trip, yeah. which is planned. Right? And I think that probably the biggest differentiator there, because there are a lot of other organizations out there that, that will say, yes, you can sign up with us and run a race for charity and it's going to be amazing. But they don't all offer the same resources that team and training do. And I think, you know, aside from the community piece, and and I will tell you to this day, most of my best friends are people that I've met through team and training over the course of the past decade. Because when you run, I mean, you run a marathon with somebody that's like you, you get to know that person very intimately, let alone when you've run five marathons with them. There's also coaching. You know, some of my coaches that I have had have become my closest friends. Um, My coach that coached me for New York, even though I didn't do the New York marathon with team and training was my team and training coach who offered to coach me for New York. So it's, it's just, it's the best option for anybody that's even questioning doing anything like this, because there are so many you know, you'll have your own reasons for not signing up, but there are, you know, 20 other people that will, that will um, kind of create a a fear of missing out (laughs) type of environment where you really have no option but to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of shift gears a little bit because I want to make sure we talk about men and women of the year. So I talked a little bit about how Ollie's boy of the year. And for those that don't know, like, Men and Women of the Year, every year, LLS does this amazing campaign. And basically, there are handfuls of people that don't like donate their time, donate their resources, and raise their hand and say, yes, I will, you know, fundraise this amount of money. This is my goal. Um, And I was lucky enough to be a part of the kickoff call, which I think was about a month ago. And as soon as I got off the call, I was like, yeah, like I'm fired up. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start my own team. We're going to do all this fundraising. And then I took a step back and I was like, wait a minute. My fundraising is I got to get my son to the end of treatment. And I just had a baby. So I'm, and then my husband was like, okay, well, we can get involved in that later. But I hopped off that call and I was so fired up. I was like, we're doing this. And then I started diving into it and I was like, huh, maybe not this year, maybe next year. That phone call was just, it was the absolute best. And it just like lifted my spirits to just carry Ollie to the last month of his treatment. And I mean, talk about like just literally meeting these people within 20 minutes. And right away, we all had a common bond. And everybody, you know, was was cheering Ollie on throughout the end of his treatment. And so Man and Woman of the Year pairs up with Girl and Boy of the Year. So now Lauren is running for Woman of the Year. And can you kind of tell us a little bit about how that whole campaign works? So yes, I, when all of this kind of uncertainty of, of races transpired, um, you know, towards the end of last year, and, and I kind of questioned after running the virtual Boston Marathon last year, whether or not I was going to want to put myself in a situation where I was potentially going to be, do, you know, doing a whole lot of training for another virtual race, I, I kind of decided that I, I emotionally, I didn't think I could handle it anymore. But I still wanted to be able to fundraise in the same way that I've been accustomed to over the past, you know, 10, 11 years. And my network at this point just kind of expects that I'm going to be coming to them uh, with, you know, the next race that I'm doing. So a few of uh, my friends within the, the society contacted me to nominate me for woman of the year and it's man woman of the year is essentially a 10-week fundraising competition so you have 10 weeks there are you know a number of different candidates from across the region there's a, a separate rhode island campaign and there's the boston campaign but it's essentially whoever can raise the most amount of money in that 10 weeks is crowned man and and woman of the year and we're all raising money on behalf of a number of different platforms but um by and large supporting the boy and girl of the year as well and for me 
I, after thinking about it for a couple of weeks and having a few of my friends kind of say, okay, well, you know, you're going to say yes anyway, you might as well just accept the nomination. It's, it's a, you know, it's from a fundraising perspective, it's a much larger campaign than any other fundraising endeavor that I have been involved in in the past. The big Um, undertaking. But the, 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 piece from a woman man woman of the year campaign perspective that's a little bit different is that i have a team of people that are working with me to fundraise whereas team and training for the most part you're fundraising by yourself um you may have friends that are helping you run events and things like that but you don't necessarily have a team of people that are actually fundraising in parallel with you Mm -hmm. and i think that's the the big piece of this that's a little bit different the other piece of this that's different that um is taken me I'm still not quite used to it um, is that it's a blind competition so I don't know how much my competitors have raised they don't know how much I've raised all I know is is what my team has done Um, and then there's a big surprise reveal at the finale at the end of the 10 weeks but a lot of team and training fundraising a lot of these other campaigns that you raise money whether it's big climb or light the night part of the game is okay, you know, I'm, you know, $1,000 away from my goal, help me get there. There, You can't really do any of that with this. So um, we've had to get kind of creative in terms of, of how we've motivated, not just my team, because I made the decision not to even tell um, any of my team how much we've raised, you know, just how to kind of motivate our network along the lines of, of donating as well. And I think, you know, my story is a huge part of that. Also, the fact that I am, that I'm largely fundraising in support of research endeavors for the Children's Initiative. And I think it's really shocking for people to hear that treatment really hasn't changed for pediatric cancers. There's, I mean, we came out with a COVID vaccine in what, you know, less than a year. And and I know it's been longer than that from a from a research perspective on on you know the the pharmaceutical side, but it's it's unacceptable that there haven't been dedicated research efforts for for children's cancers, and that's kind of the the you know my big ask is that people pay much closer attention to that because I'm living proof that there are side effects and toxicities to the treatments that we have in place now. And, you know, I'd like for people, you know, Ollie's age and and other children not to have to worry about any of that. But, you know, it's not just my story. It's, it's Ollie's story and, and, you know, others on my team that have friends and family and, and their own stories that I'm trying to get out there too. Yeah. And I think that's something that is so universal. Like, when I was on the kickoff call and I'm coming from, I'm Ollie's mom and I'm thinking, wow, there's so many people behind us. But then when I started to hear everybody else's reasons for why they're fundraising or how they've been affected by blood cancers, it really, it was heavy, but at the same time, it was very uplifting because I was like, wow, they, they really understand why this is so important. And like you just said, Lauren, like you're living proof that we, you know, in 40 years, like there are, there are side effects to these, these drugs. And I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen if Ollie's going to have long-term side effects, but yeah, I hope in my lifetime, you know, with all of these funds that you guys are raising, I really hope that treatments start to change because it's been far too long and there needs to be there needs to be more change there needs to be better treatments better protocols for these kiddos and yeah I just really appreciate all the effort that you're doing Lauren I know it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to motivate your team and raise all of these crucial funds and I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for that Thank you. Um, you know, for me, I this is what I love to do. I love to get my story out there, and I love to to know that I'm making an impact, whether it's through the dollars that I'm raising or just sharing a statistic. 
out, you know, of, of what this all looks like enough to, you know, have that shock value in someone that they want to change. And I think, you know, give people um, kind of a mechanism to feel good about what is going on in their lives right now, that they're making a difference, especially in light of, of kind of the past year of being yeah. um, a bit of a downer. I know. And, it, and I don't know if it really, you can kind of speak to it, but I'm, I'm just curious, like how many people, considering that people are at home and they're working and they're with their kids, a, people are always looking for, you know, ways to get out of the house and like go for a bike exercise. And those are such simple ways to raise money at the same time. And another thing, you know, like you said, with the pandemic and everything, I feel like I don't want to kind of throw it in people's faces, but this is what it's like when you're going through cancer treatment where you have to quarantine your whole life is restructured and you have to be careful with where you go. And um, I think people can now understand a little bit more of, you know, the lifestyle of someone going through cancer treatment and that, you know, possibly will motivate them more to want to dip into their pocket or share a message of, you know, like a statistic, like you said, that we need to continue pushing forward with cancer research. And so we talked about team and training. We talked about your story. And I think, let's see if we talked about anything else. We've been making COVID. Clubhouse. I invited you to Clubhouse. <laughs> so have you gotten a chance to pop on at all or check it out or... Um, I, so I, I will admit I popped on quickly the first day and I yeah. don't think, I mean, just to kind of explore things, mm -hmm. I've had a number of people say you have to get on Clubhouse and start poking yeah. around and I've, I've tried to, um, I will also be completely honest and say that this fundraising campaign has oh. eaten like yeah. any free time totally. out of me. Yeah. But one of the things that I love about what I do with the society now is is I love being able to hear other people's perspectives on things and this is such a great way to be able to hear other people's stories and perspectives in in one place so that was one of the, the major reasons why I wanted to kind of dig in and and start to join that community because I think it's always great to hear you know especially when you've been involved in one angle of things for so long to be able to get out and hear a number of different angles and perspectives. Yeah, I started diving into Clubhouse and I interviewed Terry Garrity, who is the author of Making Cancer Fun. Her daughter um, had a rare cancer and now is thriving. And she invited me onto Clubhouse and she has this amazing club called Hey Girl, You Can. But the main reason, and she talks about this in the interview, is that she wanted to start a club called Pediatric Playground. And so this club on Clubhouse, it is specifically for, you know, caregivers, doctors, anybody in the medical world, doesn't have to be the cancer world, any child with a medical diagnosis that's life-threatening are all welcome in that club. And I uh, hosted a room all about tips and tricks and organization. A couple weeks back with my friend Rosaria Kozar, who's the uh, host of Living with Anxiety podcast. And we had a couple people. It wasn't a big room, which was fine with me because I was, it was my first time moderating the room. So I was a little nervous, but we really had a great conversation. I had one of my friends come in. She's a professional organizer. And so people got to ask some questions and and it was just a cool conversation. People shared their stories and it was just a nice way to connect with people. And I think, you know, like you said, Lauren, like people are at home. I'm at home with the kiddos during the day. So like sometimes if I'm just, you know, doing the dishes or whatever, I'll pop into Clubhouse for a little bit and kind of connect with some other moms and some other clubs that I'm a part of. And it really is just so nice because it's just an audio app. You don't have to be on camera. You can pop into a room whenever you want. You can leave a room whenever you want. You can just listen. You can go on stage and speak. So it really is a very cool app. But 
You are deep in fundraising, so stay focused. You're doing an awesome job. I'm cheering you on. And then once you're announced woman of the year, then we can celebrate and then we can do a clubhouse room and celebrate. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so, so happy, Lauren. I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk tonight. And I, I have to admit, I was like really low energy today. I was so like tired, but after talking with you, I just, I feel all your energy right now and I'm just absorbing it. And it must be all those marathon endorphins. It is. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is. But crossing that finish line, I mean, there is nothing like that. It's, it's, and having the crowd carry you. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm yeah. all about the experience. Yeah. I mean, a lot of other people run for the times. I mean, I'm a six hour marathoner. I'm never going <laughs> to, yeah. I don't do it for the time. Yeah. <laughs> I do it for the experience and for the, the social atmosphere and, and just the fun of it all. And obviously for the good cause. Yeah. Oh, Lauren, I just want to celebrate you and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if people want to get in contact with you or donate to your fundraiser, can you tell us when does the fundraiser end and how can they support you? Where can they go? So um, our campaign ends the mid-June timeframe, June 11th. But if folks are interested in learning more about my campaign, they can follow me on social media. I'm at Lauren B. Silver. That's my Instagram handle. And I'm Lauren Silver on, on Facebook. I do a lot of social media promotion. You can also visit Breaking Barriers for the word for LLS.com. That's my website. And you can learn more about my story and about my campaign and all the different events we have going on over the next few weeks. So um, yeah, I'm excited to hear from everyone. Wonderful. So I will put all those links in the show notes. And then I will also link everything up on my website. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you got a lot of value from it. If something from this stuck with you, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to message me on Instagram or on Facebook and tell me your thoughts. Join the private All Mama Care Facebook group to connect with me directly and other listeners across the globe. Hop on over to my website, allmommycare.com. All, A-L-L, no periods, mama, M-A-M-M-A, care, C-A-R-E.com. There, you'll be able to check out some amazing resources to help your child and your family. Wherever you're listening to this, take a screenshot, tag me and a couple friends. You never know, it might be exactly what someone needs to hear today. The Light Within Me honors the light within you.